the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new episode of New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we take a journey back to the glorious years of the New Generation, the WWF in the mid 90s, a time where many things were possible. And tag teams were the name of the game. And that is what we're going to talk about today on this brand new episode of New Generation Declassified. It's the tag teams of the new generation. But before we start talking about them, let's welcome in a member of the Crack Broadcast team, fresh off of his uh, little vacation. Guys relaxing in the sun. He's sitting there dreaming of uh you know sunny and marlena and sable and all the other uh new generation uh talents of that era but i'm happy to welcome back in this week mr cp cp how's everything going down with you everything is doing good uh i was uh you know safe getting some sun for a few days i wish i saw sunny and marlena around me but it was more like sweating yoko zunas hanging on around me it was a fun few days though fun few days <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. If, that's, <laughs> if sweaty Yokozunas are your fancy, that's perfectly fine. Um, but how about I'll offer you a current day uh, Sunny <laughs> to, to stay uh, poolside or beachside with you. <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just joking, just joking. So, yeah, man, we're going to sit here. We're going to talk about some tag teams today. Now, this is one of those episodes where, look, we could sit here and prepare and we could go, all right, let me Google new generation tag teams and let's talk about them. But no, what I'm doing today is I'm here to challenge both of our brains. And I have a pen, as you can see, CP, nobody else can, but I have a pen and I'm going to write down anybody that we kind of come across and we mention. And when we call time at the end, we'll just uh, we'll go over the list and we'll see where does this list kind of rank in the pantheon of professional wrestling? Uh, because. I think we can all agree tag team wrestling has become a lost art, but was it a lost art around this time? Had tag team wrestling kind of passed its glory days or was there still a lot of great tag team wrestling to come in the late nineties into the two thousands? I guess that's up for the debate today, but let's talk some tag teams. Let's do it. So who's a tag team. If I say the new generation era, what's the first team that comes to your mind? First team that comes to my mind is it's probably the smoking guns. Okay. Uh, Billy and, and Bart, why would that be? They just seem to be the epitome of new generation to me. They were a team that was formed in that time. They were a clear gimmick team, two cowboys. Uh, and they were always, uh, in my mind, at least from when they came in, they were kind of always in that upper echelon of the tag teams of that era. Um, and they were never, you know, at that time, they were never two guys that were smashed together, which happened a lot then, which happens a lot now. They were right. just these smoking guns. They were always near the top of the tag team heap for their time. And, yeah, they were clearly had that gimmick 
Worlds cartoon lands thing that happened in that new generation time period. Yeah, they really came out hot as cowboys. I mean, that is like, you know, there was no like dancing around. They might be cowboys or, you know, uh, their names aren't uh, just so identifiable that we know they're cowboys. Like we're using our brains to figure that out. No, they had hats. They had jackets. They shot blank guns into the air. They were. (laughs) Yeah, they were cowboys. I mean, from the music to the presentation cowboys the the yeah the mustaches the 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 perfect mustaches mind you of billy gunn <laughs> and bark gunn um but absolutely uh i guess that would be the top team that you would say because i mean they were baby faces later heels but 93 94 they were the top baby face team and man you know they kind of held it down pretty well until billy uh went out with his neck injury caused yeah. by of course a rodeo accident um <laughs> Great cover up, but Billy Gunn goes out with the neck injury and kind of like closed the book on the guns for the new generation from the babyface side. And then, you know, they would kind of I I think they had a cool little edgy heel thing to them when they were bad guys around uh, 96. They were paired with Sonny. Sonny they, yeah. yeah, they were tag team champs again, but they had the black vests, you know, and they shaved the mustaches and they, they kind of like had a different look to them kind of underrated you know that that uh that time period the guns when they turned heel was a good uh good presentation without a doubt uh but yeah. i completely agree that would be the first team that i thought of but i thought of somebody different because i knew you were going to say the guns well you know it's interesting when you threw the question at me they weren't really on the top of my mind but when you threw the question at me at like that like who do you think of first it was yeah the smoking guns i was never really a fan of the smoking guns and i, I when they were a face team i feel like i was always rooting against them um but yeah they were they just kind of pop in my mind first when you say that team now on last week's episode we talked about the tag team tournament you know basically semifinals to finals uh for the royal rumble in 1995 so that was a makeshift team that we talked about last week which would fight or fight like it's a real fight would face a another makeshift tag team in the royal rumble uh tag team finals which I'm not going to name the teams because I want them to come up in casual conversation, but that team basically long story short, the smoking guns get the belts back after all that tag team build. So that's kind of the funny part. They were always in the mix. I know the teams you were just talking about, I believe. (laughs) Well, if everybody listens to the show, they absolutely would too. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a team that I got that came to my head first and it's a makeshift team, but it's a team that makes sense. And it's a team that would kind of end up being a part of a team uh, at two points, two different factions in this era. And that is, how about this one? The British Bulldog and Owen Hart. That's a very good one. Uh, I mean, they were the, they were at a really long tag team title reign, if my memory serves me correctly, towards the end of New Generation, correct? Like 96-ish? Maybe they basically, they beat the Smoking Guns for the tag team championship, I believe at mind games and they hold the tag team championship all the way till the next summer. When I believe they lose them to Austin and dude love or Austin and Shawn Michaels. I can't remember which iteration it was with that, that got it might've been Austin and Shawn Michaels and they that's yeah. So September to May, June ish of 97. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Austin Shawn Michaels fans right to me. And that is, yeah, I mean, that's a long reign, uh, especially for that era. It's interesting that you brought that up because I, 
what's popping in my head, uh, pre what was popping in my head previously as sort of the team that I think of as the dominant tag team of that era, not to change subject off Bulldog and Owen, but I always think of Owen and Yoko, which is kind of similar lines. Writing them down. Yeah, they both they both kind of come out of that cornet yes. faction. Um, Correct. Pre-camp cornet, technically, um, because really their camp cornet around the time I think Vader really gets into the mix um, around January. But just before we get into Owen and Yoko, yeah, um, with Bulldog and Owen, so not only did they come together and this team is, like I said, it's a makeshift team. They got a common goal. They're, they're both now the top heels on one side. Um, but they got obviously a common enemy in Brett. Um, but they basically have at one point a feud inside the tag team. And you think the Bulldog's going to be turning ba back to Babyface, and Owen's going to, you know, double cross the Bulldog at some point. They managed to get through that and keep the team together brilliantly, leading to the Hart Foundation. So this tag team crosses through Camp Cornette and ends up in the Hart Foundation where they would stay until, you know, obviously Bulldog leaves the company and then Owen's the, the sole surviving Hart member. Yeah, and that's pretty impressive as Owen has played the character brilliantly of just super jealous guy for many years in this time period. And that team was able to stay together after he lost. It was the European title finals, right? That was yeah. Owen and Bulldog. Mm -hmm. and Bulldog Fe February 97, I believe. Yeah, while they were the uh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing that they were able to stay together. And let's also point this out, too. So I believe they end up teaming sort of in the tail end of 95. There's that weird uh, in-your-house main event where uh, another tag team will be yeah. mentioning in a few minutes takes on what's supposed to be Owen and Yokozuna ends up being the Bulldog and Yokozuna, but Owen Hart takes the pinfall <laughs> in the match. Very convoluted. But so they technically had a team uh, match in 95, but here's where we blur the line. So the Hart Foundation, we can basically say the formula of the Hart Foundation is pretty much the end of the new generation era. So this team crosses the border of new generation to pre-attitude era. Absolutely. And uh, it would be a, uh, it would be part of that faction for years to come, which is an amazing faction through, uh, through the attitude era but yeah no yeah, absolutely yeah. starting seeds so owen and bulldog right here so now back so owen and yoko so uh wrestlemania 11 owen hart is supposed to have a mystery partner against the smoking guns ends up being yoko zuna now at that point yoko zuna was still in the class of the guy barely left his feet so you couldn't beat him so you knew you just knew they were going to beat the guns and they literally kill the smoking guns at WrestleMania. And it was awesome because Owen gets his first taste of the gold and Yokozuna out of nowhere with the beard and <laughs> Owen Hart, our tag team champions. So yeah. So there's the tie in back to the smoking guns, but here's an, I'm going to put another little M here, another makeshift team, but Owen and Yoko, what do you think? Hey, yeah, no, I, I, I love Owen and Yoko. They stand out to me and they stand out to me heavily as, sort of a, one of those perfect makeshift teams because it gave them both something to do as they were both kind of no longer in the main event scene, but they were not too far removed from it, either one. Uh, and as you just mentioned, like Yoko still had an aura about him. I mean, he didn't really lose fully clean to Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10, and it was not that later, later career Yoko where he was kind of becoming a 
very large person and an enhancement talent. I mean, he was always a large guy. But big, big you know, dude. Super, super heavy at the end. And he was, you know, kind of a, I don't want to call Yoko a jobber, but he was more of an enhancement guy the last, like, year of his career. Jesus. Jesus well, Christ. <laughs> I'm not going to He's the biggest job. jobber in history. <laughs> <laughs> you just called um, Yoko Zuna a jobber. Jesus. No, 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 no. You know what I'm saying, though. We put guys over a lot the last, like, six months to a year. He was in the yeah, WWF. Uh, yeah, no, I like that team. I think they worked perfectly too because Yoko was just, you know, it was just one of those yin and yang teams where Yoko was just this dominant force and then Owen was obnoxious Owen, you know, running in front of him being great. You know what's interesting about that too when you think, as I'm thinking now, combining oh, like Owen Hart is one of the tag team legends of the new generation era. I mean, he probably had the tag team belts as long as anybody else did now that I'm thinking about it, just him individually. Yeah, but here's the the thing that is kind of funny is that he didn't get a run with the Anvil. And it seems like the Anvil and him would have been a perfect tag team to hold the straps in that feud against Brett, you know, where look how united they are against the guy they hate so much. Uh, But yeah, he gets the straps with uh, Yoko, gets the straps with the Bulldog. And basically, that's 95, tail end of 96 and into 97. So that's that's a good chunk of time for the Rocket, the King of Hearts, to be co-holder the of the uh, the tag team champions. Well, what, yeah, what's with the no love for Anvil? <laughs> no, the two of them would have been especially great if they had a reformed, reunited new foundation with the uh, parachute. I, yes, the new foundation. And they go back to the parachute pants and the whole nine yards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so now how about this for – it's another makeshift team, but we'll tie in the Bulldog Yoko slash uh, Owen Yoko in your house match. Two dudes with attitudes, Shawn Michaels and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Now, a great team for the new generation, obviously tag team champions earlier in their, their run together, okay? But they didn't officially have a name. And when they got a name, they got pretty much the dorkiest, lamest name that you could possibly imagine for two guys that were such good uh, good friends. Two dudes with attitudes, <laughs> Shawn Michaels and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Absolutely. Uh, that is about as dorky of a name as you could get, as you said. Uh, but yeah, they, have a, they definitely have an interesting arc because those early that early tag uh, brain they had, you know, they were, uh, Diesel was kind of still the bodyguard of Shawn Michaels and the sidekick in many ways. And that was, you know, when Shawn was kind of stealing the spotlight while Diesel was kind of on his rise to fame. And then this is kind of, you know, Diesel's the star, but they're both top guys and they're, you know, hardcore baby faces at this time where they were heels in the beginning. So you got kind of complete two completely different versions of this team, which is interesting. Kind of neuters the end of Big Daddy Cool there because, I mean, here he was carrying the belt, uh, you know, alongside of him, getting this aura, and now he's back to being with Shawn Michaels, who's the guy who was his number two, or he was number two to Shawn Michaels. They had this match at WrestleMania where they're trying to kill each other, but now all of a sudden they're buddies again. Didn't really like it, and that kind of is the, you know, the stamp that's on the end of the Big Daddy Cool title run is this lame association back with Shawn Michaels with this dorky, dorky name. And I think it's I think it's that match in September and then October he gets the Bulldog one on one and then that's it. And it's yeah. Over. And we talked about the, the change of Diesel a little in episode three, I think it was. Uh, but yeah, this this kind of stamps that this second uh, two dudes with attitude title reign uh 
it kind of stamps that happy smiley diesel where he kind of lost <laughs> that early muster that was still there in his early face run and then came back obviously in the Bret Hart match but it was totally lost at this point of his title run. hey diesel we need you to smile a little more we need <laughs> you to be a little more politically correct the best <laughs> promo of the era we will cover it one day the diesel <laughs> heel promo or tweener promo the day after survivor series 95 i talked about it a few weeks ago or in the earlier shows it is seriously it is the greatest freaking promo and basically without saying how dorky that that team was <laughs> it was the perfect <laughs> end to that uh baby face run all right you give me another team so i'm interested to how do you classify um, these, I'm going to call them borderline their generation teams in the beginning, which is there's this feud, the belt swaps a few times between the Steiners and Money Incorporated, which kind of mm -hmm. starts before new generation, but it leads up to post-WrestleMania 9. I forget who got the belts after that, but it was... No, I'm putting it in the new gen. I'm, I, that's new generation yeah. to me. Absolutely. So who you say? You, who are you giving me? Um, Give me one of them. Let's start with Money Incorporated. Money Inc. Now here, I am not going to call them a makeshift team, even though they kind of were put together as one in the previous era. In the new generation era, they're the top heel tag team to start it off. Now, yeah. yes, here's where they don't fit our model of new generation. Completely at that point, regarded veteran stars of the old era, but not in the same roles. Ted, Ted, Ted DiBiase in a tag team, not the same Ted DiBiase holding the million dollar belt, not the same Ted DiBiase, uh, you know, trying to buy the WWF title, uh, 1988, the 1993 version of Ted DiBiase is a great role player. And I think that this tag team worked because they were the veteran heels and you knew they were going to pull out every trick in the book and yada, 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 WrestleMania nine with Hogan and, uh, and beefcake. At the end of the day, they they retained. So I give them the nod as uh, uh, as being full blown new generation tag team, even though they were a tail end member of the Federation era. Yeah, that team seriously elevated the uh, credibility of IRS at that time too. I mean, he, he oh, I didn't absolutely take him seriously as a singles guy, but Money Inc. I took very seriously as a tag team title. I mean, I always knew they were going to worm their way out of matches. And guess what? And if it wasn't for Money Inc. being in that first couple of months of the new generation era, basically till the summer of 93, until August when DiBiase leaves and really only wrestles for a few months after that, but comes back at January 94 Royal Rumble. And guess what starts? The Million Dollar Corporation, which basically is the cornerstone heel faction <laughs> of the WWF in the new generation. And IRS being a key member of it the whole entire time. Always got you look superstars. Oh, IRS is on. Ah, he sucks. Oh, he wins. And then, you know, three weeks later, he's losing to Bob Holly or something on uh, superstars. So <laughs> absolutely a great one. DiBiase, IRS didn't see. They didn't even pop in my head when we were populating the list. Uh, but funny enough, who you did mention, the Steiner brothers did pop in my head because I think on paper, I have a fly flying by me. Uh, the Steiner brothers, or it might be a mosquito because I'm itching my leg now. Uh, the Steiner brothers really could have been absolutely dominant face tag team champions for a long time, but they're only there for basically a year of this new generation. 
And I give them a kind of eh, not because of the Steiner brothers, just because of booking. I don't think we got to see the full Steiner brothers package that we could have and had seen, obviously, WCW, NWA, Japan, and all those other great stops they had in between. Yeah, my exposure at this point in my life, uh, when I'm a little kid, was very limited to the Steiner brothers. I mean, I kind of only knew them as WWF guys at that time. And I I did not get them when I was little. I, I didn't. I know there were wrestlers. The, the Frankensteiner was certainly awesome. That was one of my favorite moves. But other than the Frankensteiner, I just didn't get them as a team. They were just bland. Uh, they wore all those bright colors, which was, uh, you know, would have fit perfectly in the new generation for years. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, Rick Steiner seems like a perfect new generation character as well. But, but yeah, I agree. I was, I just, I didn't really get them. When I was a little kid. They didn't do anything. Now, here's where we'll give them a couple cool points. Great match at the Heavenly Bodies. Oh, come back to them. Great match at the Heavenly Bodies at SummerSlam 93 um, in uh, Michigan. And Survivor Series 93, they're a part of the All-Americans with Lex Luger. And then the mystery partner will be revealed two weeks before The Undertaker. So a great, kind of like a great bookend to their time. And I know they'd be in the 94 Rumble, but they were gone shortly thereafter. Um but yeah, not as historical as you would think. And I mean, and, and I knew the Steiner brothers from, you know, WCW. And like, I was thrilled that they were going to be in the WWF because I was like, man, like these guys can have all these great tag team matches. The Steiner brothers and the Nasty Boys, uh, Halloween Havoc uh, a few years prior, um, yeah. Sting and Luger versus the Steiners. Oh, my God. Just and I thought this is what we were getting. And we got some great matches. Oh, and we've talked about it a few times. Maybe the most underrated match of the entire era is the Steiners versus Bretton Owen. Come back to them. And that, to me, we should have had more of that. And I just feel like with the Steiner brothers, we didn't. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, there's certainly incredibly talented team. As I mentioned, I wasn't really familiar with them at this time. Later on, you know, when I was a little older, I familiarized myself with a lot of Steiner stuff. WA WCW time, and they're you know they're definitely great, but yeah, they just didn't come for me in this little period they had in the WWF. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how about this? We'll go and talk about their SummerSlam '93 opponents, the Heavenly Bodies. So now the Heavenly Bodies quietly stay there for a long time. And shout out, of course, to our TMPT Empire uh, host extraordinaire, Mr. Dr. Tom Pritchard. Um, absolutely great. Uh, debut absolutely great story that they're there from smoky mountain wrestling love the smoky mountain wrestling tag team championship being mentioned on air and jim Cornette's foray into the wwf through the heavenly bodies and and through smoky mountain wrestling um and they fit in perfectly for what they were there to do great match with the steiners um the rock and roll express match at survivor series 93 uh, wrong venue should not have been in Boston, Massachusetts should have been in like Atlanta or something uh, died a, a slow death in uh, Boston. Cornette's talked about that on air with us. Um, and they would last through uh, all the way up to 95 until the, the gigolo was let go. And Dr. Tom would stay and be in another team later. Um, I think the heavenly bodies had a perfect role in the new generation. And to me, they get a, they get high marks because I, I think what they were there to do was done perfectly. Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I don't, I don't think they were over the champions, but I remember. No, them. not never the champs. 
Yeah, they definitely had they had their their title match with the Steiners you mentioned, and I remember them being a foil for a while with the smoking guns. Uh, at one point, yeah, they were definitely an entertaining team. Gotta love the heavenly bodies. And then here I also mentioned Bretton Owen. Bretton Owen ninety four. Uh, they get the tag team title shot that looked like they were going to get it. Then it was taken away, and then they were getting it again. Face the Steiners, recorded for uh, home video, not even broadcast on TV. On paper, their stuff was uh, written like it was a story out of the Bible. But their tag team matches, uh, you know, don't really pop off the page, except for that Steiners match, because, you know, that was really the pinnacle. But, you know, Brett Owen didn't really get much time <laughs> to kind of be a team. Well, I do, I, I do love the Brett Owen, you know, the year of, um when Brett and Luger win the Rumble, when Brett Owen have their uh, have their match against the Quebecers uh, for the yes. tag teams. Because that is, it's not necessarily the greatest match in the world, but the storytelling in that match is amazing. With Brett oh, with yeah. his knee and Owen yeah. kicking his leg out of his leg. That's just, <laughs> that whole segment is fantastic. Yes, and for those who've never seen it, um, Owen, when giving his, uh, his speech to... The great Todd Pettengill, um, I guess in the heat of the moment, didn't realize he said he kicked Brett's leg out of his leg. And uh, <laughs> he's technically right. He kind of did. But uh, yeah. great, uh, yeah, great storytelling. And then, you know, led to is Brett going to make it to the match? Um, which, of course, he does. And the double victory for Brett and uh, Lex Luger. Now, we can always speculate who did win that match, but we won't do that on this show. We'll save that for another day. Well, we can do that one day. <laughs> oh, the topics are infinite, and that's we're going to say that a million times, but uh, we will go Border, back to the Border, videotape. Borderline my favorite rumble, by the way, but we'll talk about that. That's, that's a very good rumble, very good rumble. But how about their their opponents in that rumble? The Quebecers, or as Todd Bet- Pettengill will call them, the Quebecers. Um, uh, Jacques and Pierre. Uh, I mean, I got to tell you something. Uh, Money Inc. may have been the champs heading into uh, that first year of uh, the new generation, but I got to tell you, the Quebecers basically rewrote the tag team book themselves because I, I got to say, I, I they are probably my favorite heel team of the era because of how perfect they were together. And again, here's a guy, Jacques. Federation era guy with this younger dude, Pierre, who can do cannonballs off the top rope and, you know, built like a brick shithouse. And I think they ended up being the perfect, perfect team for that era. Eh, Johnny Polo, not really feeling him for the Quebecers, but nonetheless, uh, great team, great matches, great feud with the Steiners um, and a couple title changes in between. Yeah, no, I agree. I love the Quebecers. Uh, when I when I was a kid, again, I like to say when I'm a kid when I when I talk on this show, <laughs> I hated the Quebecers, but so I hated them a, I hated them in a good way though because they were, you know, they were just great at being an evil, snarky heel team. And now uh, now I find them hilarious, and I love them if I ever go back and watch some of that old stuff. And yet, uh, uh, you're definitely right uh, with that that cannonball move was incredible for the time. I mean, that, that finisher was crazy. You just didn't see that in WWF. Let me throw this team at you, and you tell me if you would consider them new generation because they're kind of kissing the pre-attitude era, but they come back in March 
97. Now, we've never put an end date on this era, but do you count the Legion of Doom in this era, yes or no? Interesting. I was going to ask you the same question at some point. I was, I was thinking. Well, I'm hosting the show, so why don't you go right <laughs> ahead and ask me the question? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, so they, I think they came back in a time that I would still technically consider a new generation. But for some reason, I don't consider them new generation tags. Yeah, yeah. They stick out like a sore thumb as, you know, an 80s, very early 90s team. And then when they kind of did get a little a little run in success, it was definitely post-new generation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't know where to put them. I kind of don't even want to put them on the list, but just because they did come back in February, March 97, and we don't technically have this end date, we have this vague 97-ish time frame i thought i'd yeah. just throw them out there but i'm gonna put like a i'm gonna just put them in kind of like a side bubble here of my teams because i'm not sure I, I i don't feel right almost putting them in because they really weren't there so i would i would definitely put lod 2000 no they no 2000 is beyond <laughs> um all right give me another one come on give me another team first one that comes to your brain um this is a mishmash team that didn't last very long, but you kind of alluded to them before. One, two, three kid, Bob Holly. Okay. Featured last week on the episode, watching them in their journey to the tag team championship finals and victory. Uh, but you, you, we talked about them at length last week. So I'll give you your uh, couple of minutes here to uh, expound upon them. Uh, I just found them to be a very fun team. Uh, one, two, three, kid in general. The little run with Mario Gennetti and this little run to the tournament victory with them to lose with uh, Bob Holly to lose the titles the next day. And those are just the ultimate underdog stories both times to me. And I, I, I always, I, I think the one, two, three, kid in general is kind of uh, underrated for this era. But I, I love those two little stories for each of those tag teams. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I'll throw uh, another one at you though. Um, what about the body Donnas? Body Donnas were good. You jumped me on one name I wanted to throw out, but that's oh. fine because I wanted to mention the body Donnas. Body Donnas, um, now I like Skip and Sonny more on their own, but I do like the team of the body Donnas. The problem is, is when the body Donnas kind of got their time to shine, that's when the division was like kind of like on life support. And that's. Yeah. That kind of sucks because when they, they had a little small sample as a heel and then they were turned babyface, if you remember, and it just completely didn't work. I just remember every pay-per-view at that point, the tag titles was some combination of Body Donna's Godwins and the New Rockers. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's the segue. New Rockers. Um, <laughs> my man, Marty Gennetti, been in the news as of late. Um and Leaf Cassidy, a.k.a. Al Snow. Um, okay, so not a makeshift team thrown together for, put together for a reason. Uh, took the rocker moniker and basically turned back the clock and made them 60s rockers and obsessed with retro 60s and 70s bands. And they loved the Monkees and they loved the Partridge family and they loved that era of rocker when Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty were, you know, uh, 80s rockers and hair metal and, you know, and living uh, after midnight. And it just made no sense that they switched it to that. But again, just like you said, just that 
point, like that little snippet of 96, there was just nothing happening yeah. for the tag teams. And the new rockers could have had a nice little, uh, little spot, just couldn't get it off the ground. And Janetti, I believe, either tore his ankle or tore his knee up. And that was the end of the team. Yeah, I, I just, it, it, it seems like it never works to put new in front of an old team name and just repackage an old team. <laughs> Oh, because guess what? Now I'm going to throw you a curveball. I was going to go to the Godwins, but before we get to the Godwins, how about the new Blackjacks? <laughs> the new Blackjacks? The new Blackjacks. What year was the new Blackjacks? The new Blackjacks are March 97, but they fall into that same class as the LOD. Do they fall? Are they new generation? Now, whereas I can't say the LOD is a new generation style team, the blackjacks are freaking perfect for the new generation. Yeah, no, I mean, they're formed in a time I would still call the new generation. They have a clear gimmick. And yeah, I don't think there, there wouldn't have been the new blackjacks formed if it was 1999. So they're definitely a new generation. Yeah. And for our uh, younger fans and fans that listen to this show to kind of get an idea of what was going on back then, the new Blackjacks are Barry Windham, and you would later know him as JBL, but at that time he was Justin Hawk Bradshaw. And they went back to the original Blackjacks team and had black mustaches and jet black hair with black tights, and they just came in and kicked the crap out of the guys in typical brawler fashion. Um but that fits to me a couple of months back. Let's put them in 96. Let's put them in 95. And they work perfectly in 97. They had a very short run, but they, you say new in front of something. I think of the new blackjacks. Yeah. I would have packaged that team as the stalkers and made a JBL. A stalker <laughs> as well. But see, like I like Justin Hawk Bradshaw. I, I thought that was a really cool gimmick. I thought it was just a, a vintage ass kicking Texan yeah. who's going to bring the, he's got the cowbell. He's got the rope. You know, he had uh, uh, Dutch Mantel as uh, uncle Zebekiah with him. who was kind of like, you know, backwoods style, you know, hillbilly. Well, well that's what they tried to give him that blackjack rub. I mean, he's, you know, he just kind of, screams of that generation of wrestling especially as justin hall yeah and barry windham the stalker was quite it was seriously it was like the stupidest thing and barry windham is a great friggin' dude and i have had many a fun conversation with barry windham but the stalker was not good <laughs> i think he would admit it but the stalker sucked yeah i mean you know what's funny i know you don't watch modern stuff too much but I feel like Lacey Evans stole his gimmick at one point. Like she was just coming out for no reason, chilling by the entrance. <laughs> wow, that was a stretch. <laughs> if you say so. Um, <laughs> speaking of reality, why don't we talk about this team? Now, here's a guy, again, and I don't mean to say this, a guy who I love talking about wrestling with when I've seen him, Henry Godwin, a.k.a. the Godwins. So Phineas... I Godwin and Henry O Godwin hog and pig paired with hillbilly Jim get a very cool, very long baby face run in the new generation years. End of 97, early to middle 96 through 97 eventually would be heels in 97 and 98, but the Godwins, they get high marks from me. I like them. I think that's a great little team. Yeah, they're another team that's very definitive of the new generation too, especially the face version, just with the coming out to the dosey do song with Hillbilly Jim and the slopping of people, the the uh, you know the uh, 
pig, uh, the pig, pig, what was that called? The pig pit? I'm trying to remember. Oh, now. the hog pen? The hog pens, yes. Yeah. Their hog, uh, hog pen matches. Yeah, no, I, I, in that tail end, especially with, with, with the new rockers that we just mentioned earlier, like, I, I remember them being sort of distinctly the best team to me when it was kind of a weak array of teams around them. And I love the heel Goblins, by the way. Was, that's a great team. <laughs> when they were like um, deliverance style, like where they yeah. were uh, just pure, like, uh, you know, <laughs> Southern uh, Justice. Yeah, Southern Justice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were like corporate style uh, rednecks. Yeah. Um, and I mean rednecks in all, you know, sincerity. Uh, how about this team? Okay. Now, kind of in the money ink vein, but even more of an extreme case, they did bleed into almost 1996. So they, their new generation, even though you might not want to admit it, the Bushwhackers. <laughs> this is, uh, I don't consider them new generation, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. They are. It's funny that they almost got a revamping in the new generation. They, they yes, were, they did. Uh, yeah, they were wearing different clothes. They had those, uh, the tank tops. The they had boom, uh, they, boomerangs. Yes, yes, yes. They got extra costumes, extra costume gear. Yeah, they had a vest and boomerangs, and they went from uh, uh, New Zealand to Australia and um, threw boomerangs into the crowd. Now, I didn't think they threw boomerangs in, in New Zealand, but, <laughs> you know, apparently they did. <laughs> eh, New Zealand, Australia, it's all the same thing. I mean, you know, throw a dart, you might hit one of them if it's a big map. Um, yeah. but yeah, Bushwhackers, they're there till 96. So they, they got to be there. Now they weren't really on TV a lot. They were on superstars. They were on all the house shows. Um, I can't even really say they would put guys over because I mean, who were they putting over? You know, there wasn't many teams. Yeah, my, my memory of them too, is winning a lot against super jobber teams. Like, yeah. Yeah, no exactly. Name, like on superstars, it seemed like they always just beat no name guys. Exactly. So they, you know, they kind of have a successful new generation run. I mean, <laughs> any I mean, way I you stretch it, probably getting <laughs> probably getting paid out the ass at that point, and and you know, traveling, being uh, you know the bushwhackers. Uh, so good for them. Battering um, one of the most devastating groups of all time. Now, how about this one for a new generation team? Okay, and we're we're kissing the time here, so we got a couple more we're, we're going to name. I just don't want to forget this one. Now they come in in '96. To not a lot of fanfare, but they had been getting a lot of publicity while they were in ECW for a small amount of time. How about Furnace and Lafon? Furnace and Lafon, uh, they're another one of those teams. They, it's, I don't want to compare them to the Steiners, but when I think of the Steiner time period, I think those guys are both a lot more talented than I than their run really gave them uh, credence to. Uh, yeah, they they were kind of nothing for me, but I think they were both like, you know, on a wrestling work level, probably better than a lot of the guys at the time. Uh, yeah, they, they just didn't seem to fit into. To me, it's your smart mark, you know, favorites, and I love them in ECW because it was different. My favorite era of ECW ninety five ninety six when they would kind of pop in and be around. It was always cool because they weren't fitting the ECW mold, and I love the way they work. Now, Furnace and Lafon. Uh, I believe Dan Crawford was his Lafon's uh, name. And then, so they were Crawford and Furnace or Furnace and Crawford. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, no, I, when they got there in 96, they won the survivor series, 
So that was a big deal. Soul Survivors. And um, eventually, uh, they, I believe they were they were in a car accident at some point, and Furnace hurt his back, or Lafon hurt his neck. But they would come back in 97 at the tail end of the Montreal versus USA storyline, and they were on the Montreal side. So, uh, or the Canada versus USA. So, kind of weird. They're in 96, but mid-97, they're kind of gone because of injury, and then they're back. But yeah, I just wanted to throw them in because that's just such a rando team to kind of uh, <laughs> leave off this Can list. Can I throw out a team to you? that? Uh, yeah, yeah, please. Let's get a couple more in. To, uh, again, kind of a smorgasbord team, but they got a name, they got packaging, they got building as a team, if I remember correctly, although they kind of did nothing as a team. The Allied Power. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to say them early, and I forgot about them, but I'm glad you brought them up. The Allied Powers, Lex Luger, and the British Bulldog make it to WrestleMania as a team, have a cool mishmash uh, theme song of the uh, United States and uh, <laughs> England, uh, you know, uh, what do you call, anthems. Yeah. Uh, very cool. But um, at that point, Luger was done. They didn't have anything else with Luger, so they threw him in this team. And, I mean, they looked great together, but it was just kind of like there was really yeah. nothing for them. And that was basically, I mean, Luger was on the heels of the Super Luger run that we've touched on a little before, uh, if I remember correctly. So that is, it seems like, you know, based on the placement of Luger and Bulldog always kind of being up a mid-card, like they, they should have just run through the tag division. But they were just around for a little while and didn't really do anything. But you could say this, here's what it did do. So even though they so they win their WrestleMania 11 match, and I believe it was the opener. It was in the opener. It was the second. It was at the top of the card or bottom of the card, whichever way you want to talk, or whichever way you want to say it. The Allied Powers and Luger leaving for WCW leads to the British Bulldog turning heel, which ended up giving us Bulldog and Owen. So it kind of worked its way uh, magically along the new generation timeline. Completely <laughs> worked its way. No, it makes sense. All right, rapid fire before we we get to the uh, the tail end here. Well done, Timothy. Were, well, Stephen Dunn. Stephen Dunn. Uh, they were a well done team. Uh, they they yeah they're, I mean a, a good heel jobber team essentially. I would call. Solid okay. for the year. All right, you get a absolute big fat F for the show for not <laughs> mentioning men on a mission. I want to mention Men on a Mission. You're the host, man. You well, you did it, man. Well, come on. Now's your freaking time to men mention Men on a Mission. <laughs> I love Men on a Mission. I was all into the into the hand moving and the rapping along, the super bass Men on a Mission. Uh, I was in I was in the arena at WrestleMania 10 when they beat the tag team champions by count out, but it was still a very fun little celebration. Uh, they had the amazing move of Mo just jumping onto Mabel's back to force his slammed his smash to be harder his big splash no i'm a big fan of that on the mission techno team 2000 uh the, uh, techno team 2000 is uh, they don't mean anything to me. <laughs> ouch how dare you say that about eric watts my god <laughs> um all right how about the one uh, no, excuse me how about barry horowitz and hakushi barry horowitz and hakushi is actually a pretty fun team uh I think anytime Barry Harlitz, when he had his little windows and popped up uh, into some some relative success, they were always fun times. Hakushi was 
completely crazy uh, for that time WWF. And they were one of those odd pairings that just, it kind of worked for what they did. Here's a team that we could be talking about a lot more in the coming weeks. Uh, popped in as part of the USWA WWF uh, talent exchange a little bit uh, and would be a part of the nation of domination, PG-13. PG-13 is cool. Uh, they, had a, they had a pretty good match on a Monday Night Raw with the Spoken Guns. Um, I would also say, uh, I don't want to bring in the whole nation of domination, but the original formation of that group, their their uh, their rapping entrance was it was pretty unique for the time. They brought an element of realism that was only kind of just becoming to exist at that time. How about okay? And just say I hit a brain fart. How? Oh, we didn't mention Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka. Oh, that's because they're not as good as the one, two, three kid and Bob Holly. But where do you so like? All right. They didn't have a long run. They were the million dollar corporation. So you saw, oh, the million dollar corporation taking on whoever it was usually Bam Bam and Tatanka. Um, eventually, you would see Sid kind of fit into the Bam Bam model or role when Bam Bam turns face. But they do challenge in the finals of the tag team championship here. So I got to put them on the list: Bam Bam and Tatanka. But you're you're so you're saying Barry Horowitz and Hakushi is a better team than Bam Bam and Tatanka? <laughs> I. I- Ah, Bam Bam and Tatanka is a fun team. I'm not going to say that, but uh, I would enjoy anything with Takushi, sort of. But yeah, Tatanka and Bam Bam are a good team. Certainly coming out of that million dollar corporation, uh, Bam Bam brings all that credibility from the earlier generation. Tatanka was awesome in his early heel run. Uh, so no, they're a fun team. And the last team we'll mention tonight, and again, I'm writing this all down so we can go back and maybe even see who we missed, or if anybody who's listening to this wants to share who we missed, please go right ahead. Uh, we mentioned their opponents earlier in the show. Um, without this man, uh, the wrestling business would cease to exist, in my opinion. Uh, how in God's name did we wait until the last closing seconds to mention the Mega Maniacs? Hulk Hogan <laughs> and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Yeah, I don't. I don't think of them as what? a real team. <laughs> that's. I think that's why you gave me so much credibility on Money Incorporated being a new generation team, just because you wanted to talk about Mega Maniacs. Hey, he was technically WWF champion in the new generation. Okay, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake miraculously came back from a debilitating accident, parasailing accident that took his face off, brother. And the Mega Maniacs challenged for the Tag Team Championship at WrestleMania 9. They would be on the house show circuit from WrestleMania to about King of the Ring. And afterwards, they take on the Beverly Brothers on the house shows. We missed the Beverly Brothers, but that's okay. You know, we'll, again, we'll, we'll come back. Um, but to me, if we're putting Money Inc. into conversation, the Mega Maniacs fit right in. So as usual, Hulk Hogan saves the friggin' day. Yep. And I'll never forget sitting that Monday Night Raw, the first ever Raw that Hogan was on. Forget about it. Must see TV in every sense of the word. And don't you dare tell me different. I'm not going to deny that. (laughs) Hulk Hogan came back. That was amazing. (laughs) All right. So here's the final list. Smoking Guns, Bulldog and Owen, Owen and Yoko, Two Dudes with Attitudes, Money Inc., Steiner Brothers, Heavenly Bodies, Brett and Owen, Quebecers, 
maybe LOD. One, two, three, Kid Bob Holly, Body Donnas, New Rockers, New Blackjacks, Godwins, Bushwhackers, Furnace and LaFon, Allied Powers, uh, Well Done, Men on a Mission, Techno Team 2000, Barry Horowitz, Hakushi, PG-13, Bam Bam Tatanka, and the Mega Maniacs. Where do you put this kind of talent up against the pre-new generation years and the post-new generation years, looking at all these teams? For later day, we got to talk head shrinkers, too. I forgot. Holy crap. You see... Just save it for the next one. <laughs> we can't even get into them. Holy crap. How do we miss the head shrinkers? I don't know. That's pretty crazy. Um, I So if I'm just going, I mean, it's a, it sounds deep, uh, but if I'm just going by what I would consider top tier teams, and I, I do love this generation, but I think it's mostly for the single stars, I consider it to be kind of lost and kind of weak in the tag team uh, worlds. However, I do think I don't think it was fully lost at this time because I do think tag team wrestling picked up to a degree in the late '90s. Uh, and if I think of my favorite teams, they all seem to come from, you know, late '80s, early '90s, or late '90s, early 2000s. But I kind of have a black hole in this time period where I wouldn't put anybody in there in my top five, maybe even top ten, but definitely not top five. If, if I was going to look at the Attitude Era and then like the early 2000s, I would give this probably a number two to, and I'm going up the 80s era, the glorious era, the Federation years. Hmm. I, I would just because of the sheer amount of talent and we watched yeah, tag. You, I'll give you depth. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And then we watched tag team matches get shorter and shorter and shorter as the years went on. And basically in the attitude era, you know, you'd get your tag team match. It'd be like two minutes and 30 seconds. And it would be, you know, uh, the outlaws versus LOD. And you're sitting there going like, Oh man, no, that was a barn burner. It was like three minutes. Uh, so that's the only knock I give that era versus these guys. They get good time on shows. They get, you know, one, two segments on Monday night raw, you know, the, the, the pay-per-views being so much more kind of exclusive back then. Um, I would put this one absolutely behind the glory era, the eighties, um, but probably ahead of maybe if anything, maybe I'd say the early two thousands, the, the, the end of the nineties did have some good teams in there. So it's, that's a tough one, but this ain't the attitude era show. It's new generation declassified. So I can't really speak on that at this time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I hear you. Yeah. I just, and again, I, I agree with you on depth of talent. I just, when I'm starting to make a list of who, I think are my the most either the best or just my favorite most entertaining tag teams. It just it is kind of split between Attitude Era and that Golden Era. And all, I don't have anybody from here on. All those names I just gave you, give me your favorite. Owen and Yoko. Owen and Yoko. Wow. And put a star next to them for you. I am going to give the nod to the Quebecers. And that can't, doesn't make more sense. I'm not going to argue with you. That's a clean, you can't, uh, entertaining you, heel tag team. You can't not hear that theme song and just get a smile on your face and Fantastic. put on those big mounty sunglasses. Well, excuse me. They're not the <laughs> mounties. But on those sunglasses and uh, Jacques Rougeau is just such a damn good heel. So very, uh, very good stuff. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up here for this week on New Generation Declassified. You've been listening to this on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. Every single week you get to hear me, you get to hear CP, and you get to hear Timmy, who's uh, usually behind the scenes, but he's taking care of some uh, Timmy W business as we speak. 
Um, and hopefully he'll be back in uh, rolling uh, at a later date. So with that being said, if you want to follow more going on in the TMPT Empire, head on over to TMPTEmpire.com. There you'll get links to all the podcasts under the umbrella. It's many, many shows. It's many, many interviews. It's many, many personalities. And there's no lack of wrestling content. So that is for damn sure. But if you want to hear more from uh, from me, you can go on over to Twitter or Instagram. It's at Chad EMB. Uh, there you can catch me talking about some wrestling, catch me talking about some baseball and everything in between. And uh, just, again, appreciate everybody who listens to the show and every single week getting some more feedback. It's friggin' awesome. I just hope everyone's enjoying it, learning from it, and, uh, you know, taking a little bit. And let's enjoy wrestling for a change instead of complaining about stuff and saying how much it sucks. Let's go back and watch some good stuff. And if you've got some ideas, always drop them uh, online to me. I will always listen to them. I love, love, love Hearing from some old school fans. So CP talk about sticks and stick and move podcast, the new season coming and uh, what else you got going on? Oh man. Did you see how crappy Monday night raw was this week? <laughs> no, I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, yeah. Stick and move stories. You can check out the, the uh, archive. It's a podcast where we talk about historic boxing matches, stick and move stories, podcast. Uh, you can just plug that into Google. You'll find it. You can find it on Spotify and Anchor. It's also Facebook.com slash Stick and Move Stories. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to be launching a new season uh, around Labor Day, possibly right after Labor Day. Uh, so that's coming in early September. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Pugs. That's P-U-G-Z-Z-Z with Z-Z's at Pugs. Uh, other than that, I was on the beach last week and I have to go to work tomorrow. That sucks. Sorry to hear that. Um, I think I've said this to you before. You need a few more Z's at the end of that uh, <laughs> that Twitter handle. <laughs> I do. <laughs> did you I max got, out the Z's? Did you hit enough? Did I, you hit the, I, the, uh, the the number character limit? I did not. I tried to adjust my Instagram to match it, and I was not able to. And I would have had to put like eight Z's on my Instagram. <laughs> so no. So there is a there, there is a, a pugs with seven Z's out in the Instagram world. There absolutely is an Instagram. Now, is is it true that that is a dog, a pug dog? That's just a group of pugs that got together and they have the Instagram. There are Sorry. several pugs, and they like to put Z's so, on. The end. That's pug. all I got. That's all I could think of when I thought of pugs. Quick, so uh... the, the coolest <laughs> pug puts the Z on, and then the more <laughs> the cooler you are. Oh my God! Almost as cool as me rocking the no sleeves on this recording, man. Cause I got the guns, suns, <laughs> suns out, guns out, and guess what? It's ten o'clock at night, so that's how you know uh, the Chadster rolls. All right, just kidding. <laughs> Let's wrap it up here before I say anything else stupid and incriminate myself. Uh, it's been a great episode. We will see you next week here with another new generation declassified. So for Mister CP, this is the Chadster, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.